Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. I'm hoping that you're still in Matthew 9, and then I'd like you also to hold a place in the book of Ruth. So you got the first five books of Moses, and then you got Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. We happen to be in Ruth chapter 2, but um, just as I came in this morning, I was thinking about the title of this message. I think I'd probably switch the title if I had an opportunity. If you look at the screen behind me, it's Grace and Kindness from the Kinsman. Much of the book of Ruth is set in the context of a harvest. In fact, we're going to look at the barley harvest, which happened around the time of Passover, and the wheat harvest that happened at the time of Pentecost. And these harvests, these seven main festivals of Israel, where we think of Passover and Pentecost, and we think of trumpets and tabernacles, were all around agrarian periods of time, when the harvest would literally come in. In fact, the Jews believed that God gave Moses the law at Sinai at Pentecost. And you've probably heard pastors often say on the day of Pentecost when uh, Peter preached, 3,000 people came into the harvest, and the day that the law was given, I think the same amount of people died. And so the law is a tutor to drive us to Christ, and he is Lord of the harvest. That's why in Matthew 9, if you just revisit the verses that we read, Jesus, uh, verse 36, saw the multitudes, and what drove him into the mission, if you will, or into the world was compassion. He felt compassion. Compassion is one of the great expressions of love. He felt compassion for them, Matthew 9, 36, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. I don't follow secular music that closely today, but uh, I guess the lead singer of Linkin Park took his life. Uh, I just looked on the uh, internet quickly, and uh, the details are a bit sketchy, but I think he hung himself and 41 years old. And, you know, you start thinking about um, just life and, and how desperate people can be. We've talked recently about our service people coming back home and the alarming numbers of those who are suffering from PTSD and, and taking their lives as well. And, and life can get hard and it's difficult. And uh, Ruth and Naomi are no exception, of course, as they come back from Moab having lost really everything. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's a sad thing when sheep are there without a shepherd. Uh, they have no guidance, no protection, uh, no one to really lead them and feed them. And Jesus said to the disciples, verse 37, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, they are few. Pray. What should we pray for? One of the things that we should pray for is we should pray to the Lord of the harvest. Notice God is the Lord of the harvest, again, agrarian kind of crop imagery, to send out workers into his harvest field. We don't need to pray that the gospel has more power. <laughs> the gospel already has power. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What we need to pray for is that more of us will share it and share it regularly. And that's our problem is that we often don't see our everyday lives missionally. We don't see often, I'm not saying that this is true across the board, but this I'm preaching to myself as well, that the everyday things of life can be opportunities. 
we can at least build a bridge just by our behavior to maybe share the gospel with somebody. This can really transform your life if you think in this sense. Now, in the book of Ruth, if you go over to the book of Ruth, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, right after the first five books of Moses, uh, we, are, we are in two, part two of this short story where we have been introduced to the main characters. We've seen, for example, a man named Elimelech who's married to a woman named Naomi. Naomi's name means lovely or sweet, but she goes through tragedy. The tragedy is that her husband dies when they're in the land of Moab. She had followed him in the time of a famine. And then her sons married Moabite women, and we introduced Orpah and Ruth uh, into the story. And we talked about how Orpah in Hebrew means to turn the neck, And ultimately, Orpah went back home, back to Moab, back to the gods of Moab, the chief god being Chemosh, who was a terrible deity. They did terrible things around him. But this character, Ruth, for whom the book is named, decided to follow her mother-in-law. And she said in these famous words, and just revisit it with me for a second, in verse 16, Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. 116, or to turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. I want to be grafted into Israel, is what she's saying. Your God, Yahweh, will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. Now she really gives an oath in the name of Yahweh. May the Lord, that's Yahweh there, capitalized L-O-R-D is always Y-H-W-H, that's the original. May the Lord do to me and worse, if anything, but death parts you and me. And a tremendous statement of faith. I'm gonna leave home. She'd probably never been to Bethlehem. I'm gonna leave mom and dad. I'm gonna leave Moab, the territory I know, the gods that I've been introduced to from the time I was a child, and I'm going to go with a mother-in-law who has nothing to offer. In fact, that's why Naomi was saying, go back. I have nothing to give you. I've lost everything. And they go to this place that we've been introduced to in our Bibles called Bethlehem. Beit Lachem is house, is bait, and Lachem is bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Ironically, there was a famine in the house of bread, and so that's why they left. Now they come back some 10 to 12 years later, really nothing, and Naomi comes into town, and when she comes into town, there's a stir, and the people are going, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? Maybe gossiping about her, maybe surprised at her appearance. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that she's probably just battered and beat up, and her words back that up. She says, don't call me sweet, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter, for the heavy hand of the Lord has been on me. I left full. Of course, she left in a famine, but she at least left with a husband and two sons, and I've come back empty. She came back with the Moabitess, Ruth, and Naomi couldn't imagine what God was going to do. In fact, what's really happening here is that Ruth and Naomi are part of the eternal story of redemption. In fact, from Ruth and Incredibly, from Rahab, who's a Gentile harlot in the book of Joshua, and from Ruth, who's a Gentile who links uh, arms with Naomi, they are both, both these women are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Write down Matthew 1.5, that's where that record is. A surprising genealogy, and of course, the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. 
And this season that they are now moving in is into a harvest of hope, away from a chapter of hardship. We end uh, chapter 1, verse 22, by saying they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we, that's where we left off. And we move into chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a kinsman. The word kinsman is moda in Hebrew. It means a family member. It could mean a close friend, but here it means a family member. He's a kinsman. And what's going to be added to the name uh, of Boaz, which we'll see in a moment, this idea of kinsman is a kinsman redeemer. In Hebrew, the word is goel. Some of you have heard that before. It's G-O-E-L, put into English, goel. And a kinsman redeemer was someone who could buy back land that was lost. Let's say that you owned a parcel of land back in the day, and you lost the land. Uh, in time of famine, you couldn't take care of it. You had to sell it because you were behind on debts, whatever the case may be. That land could be purchased by somebody else, but then your kinsman could come back and purchase the land. But not only could he purchase the land, this kinsman goel or redeemer could purchase people out of slavery. Some people had to sell themselves into servitude uh, because they owed too much money or they, this was the only way to pay off debt. And so they would sell themselves into some sort of slavery, and the kinsman redeemer uh, could come and buy them out of that situation. And Ruth's story, I've been telling you, is our story because we have a kinsman redeemer. His name is Jesus, and he bought us out of the slave market of sin. He bought us from Egypt, if you will. He took us out of Moab, if you will. He brought us into the heart of his father, and he redeemed us not with silver and gold from our aimless conduct, but he redeemed us with his own, what? Precious blood. He purchased us. And so this, this book is a shadow, like so much of the Old Testament, of the coming Redeemer. Now, they had a kinsman of her husband. Her husband has died He's a man of great wealth, the NAS says. The New King James says the same. A worthy man, says the ESV, and a man of standing, says the NIV. He was some well-to-do man, well-liked in the community, probably uh, wealthy as well. He was of the family of Elimelech, that is Naomi's dead husband, and his name is Boaz. Boaz means fleetness or strength. Uh, commentators have pointed out that Boaz's name is a direct contrast with the names of the sons of Naomi. Those names, as we were introduced to them in the first chapter, are Malon and Kilion. And there's a little bit of debate about their names, but scholarship says their names mean something like this, sickness and annihilation, or sick and weakly. Now, when people who are critical of the Bible read something like this, they're like, oh, that's got to be a narrator's invention. Well, I don't think so. Uh, Hebrew names had great significance, and they often fit well with the person's personality. Now, I don't know if Malon and Kilion came out and they struggled with sickness. I don't know if they were just weak in terms of they weren't very masculine. I don't know what the deal is with all of that. But I know that Boaz is a contrast, at least in this sense, to them and in fact, scholars would say his name means something like this, in him is strength. And, you know, whenever I think of strength, I don't think of strength in the sense of, man, you know, I have great personal strength. No, our strength is in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The source of our strength in this crazy world is God Almighty. His love. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. Trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. Now, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, so we're introduced to Boaz, not a lot of commentary. He's going to take on great prominence. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, so now they've limped back into town. They probably haven't eaten for a while. They, they have really nothing. Ruth takes the initiative. She says, please, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find ken. Favor, the Hebrew word is C-H-E-N, ken. Uh, this is the Old Testament word for grace. I'm going to go glean in the field and maybe I'll find grace in the sight of somebody. So she says this, Ruth, who's a foreigner, says this to Naomi, who's a local. And Naomi's only response is, go, my daughter, go. I don't know how long they sat there. I don't know how long the conversation is, but take a look. Verse 2 says, please let me go. It sounds to me, reading between the lines, like the implication was there was a little back and forth. I think, I think for a while, Ruth was saying, I need to go glean in the field. We need to eat. We need something to eat. And I think Naomi was saying, no, you can't go. You're a foreigner. You're a widow. This is a dangerous time. The book is set in the time of Judges where everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. There was social chaos and anarchy. There was no king. The word of God had been put on the back burner. And I think Naomi's saying, I, I'm older and I don't know if I can do this, but I'm concerned that you go out there and be exposed to these guys who are you know, harvesting the field. Who knows what they'll do to you? Who knows what will happen to you? It's a great risk. And I think Ruth finally said, please let me go. We're going to starve if I don't go. And I think, I, I, reading between the lines here, finally Naomi said, go, my daughter, go. She went with, of course, the hope of grace, finding grace in somebody's eyes into the harvest field. And of course, God had made some laws that grace was to be given to those who were impoverished and widows and orphans. If you take a look, go to the book of Leviticus, just not, not far back. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Go to chapter 19 for a second. Chapter 19, look at verse 9. In the law of God, Leviticus 19, 9, God said these words. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, Leviticus 19.9, you shall not reap the very, to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, Leviticus 19.10. Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Flip over to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 is a well-known chapter because it lays out the feasts of Israel, the harvest uh, times. And here's what God says in the setting of that uh, teaching. When you reap, Leviticus 23, 22, the harvest of your land, 
Moreover, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Oftentimes when God gave these commandments, he would say, you were a foreigner, an alien in the land of Egypt, so you need to have compassion on those who enter your land and have nothing. So leave the corners of the field. The next book is Deuteronomy, Numbers and then Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 24. Here's a repetition, but it gets a little bit more specific. Numbers, Deuteronomy 24. It says, when you reap, uh, 2419, Deuteronomy 2419, when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, 2419, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. There was a blessing, back to Ruth, attached to being benevolent to the poor. He who waters others will himself be watered, says the Bible. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will what? You will reap generously. Look, God does say in harvest imagery, sowing is the language of the harvest. It's sowing seed. You sow, you will reap. You sow sparingly, you'll reap a little. You sow a lot, you will reap a lot. In what way? Not always financially. It can be many other blessings, but sometimes it is financially. 2 Corinthians 9 does teach that principle as well. So we're supposed to give because our Lord is a giver. In fact, Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give. We all know the verse. I'm not sure we, I'm not sure we practice it, but, but it sounds pretty good. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But I think when you are a giver, you start to see that. And so she's going to go out and reap the corners of the field. But let's not get the, the picture wrong. There, even though harvesting was a time of song and joy and there was excitement in the air and the famine had ended, not everybody was living up to the law in the time of the judges. You went out to that field as a single woman with a bunch of men working in the heat of the day. Who knows what's going to happen? Can you imagine the fear and trepidation of somebody like Ruth? She's from Moab. She's a widow. She's a foreigner. She's come into the fields. Imagine her fear of not knowing what to expect. She probably doesn't even know what to do. She's going to just try to figure it out because the most common desire we have is for food, right? And they haven't eaten for a while. So she's going to go out. And, and just by the way, the work, even though it did give you a certain modicum of uh, dignity to do this, it wasn't like... You were begging on the street corner. This was like collecting aluminum cans for money. You're doing something, but it's not very glamorous. Let's just face it. Uh, there was a provision here, though, in the law that if you were without, you could do something and the grace of others, and, and of course you were working for it, um, the grace of others would be bestowed upon you and God promised a blessing. In fact, this is a command. It's not a suggestion to leave the corners of your field. It's a command. Now, not everybody follows the commandments, as we well know. Would to God that we, we did. But she didn't know what she was going to get. So she ventures out, ventures out into the harvest looking for grace. And so she departed, verse 3, went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She followed them. In, in Matthew 13, Jesus gave the image of the last days, saying that the reapers were angels. He uses the harvest imagery in Matthew 13 as the end of the age 
and that the angels will reap the harvest and there will be the wheat will come into the father's barn and the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Well, she happened, look at verse 3, to come to the portion of the field. And you have to imagine there's no clear markings in these days. The fields, you know, go from one to the other. She just happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to this guy we're introduced to in verse 1. His name is Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She just happened to end up in this field. Have you ever been somewhere and you meet somebody or you get a chance to minister to somebody or you're hurting and someone shows up just at the right place and just at the right time and you say, this must be more than a quinky dink. <laughs> Aha! The Lord of the harvest knows about me and cares about me. Sometimes I'm listening to the radio and I need to hear a word from the Lord and I'll hear exactly what I needed to hear on the radio. And sometimes I say, how did that preacher know? And people will say to me, Pastor Michael, what you were preaching this morning on the radio spoke right to me. When did you preach that? And I was like, two years ago. Like, what? The Lord can use a message from two years ago to speak to my circumstances today? Yes, because he's the Lord of the harvest and he has grace for us. He knows where you are. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows where you are mentally. He knows where you are geographically. Where can I go from your spirit, O oh Lord? Right? And so the Lord can often do this, and he does, and she just happened. I think the narrator is kind of just using some irony here. You could say it in modern vernacular, as luck would have it. Was this good luck, good fortune, or the hidden hand of God? Is it chance or providence? Well, God can work in the ordinary common sense decisions of our lives, but remember, Ruth did get up and go, and that's when the clock really started moving. So you've, some of you have heard this. Charles Stanley says, God does not steer a parked car. All right? Uh, God can work in the common sense actions of everyday life. If we have a need, if you have a need for a job, go and look for a job. And God can meet you right in that activity, right? He can meet you in the common sense decisions of everyday life. Providence. What is providence? It means God's care. It means he wants to provide for us. What are the odds of all the fields in Bethlehem that she would end up right here? Ephesians 1.11 says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1.11 says God works all things after the counsel of his will. Providence means purpose. Sometimes when people hear about the providence of God, they wonder, are we just pieces on a chessboard that God is just moving around? No. But God does still work according to his will. We're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure or purpose. We don't work for our salvation, Philippians 2.12. We work out our salvation. We have salvation. We are just supposed to work out what God is working in. So as you are waiting for specific instructions in the everyday stuff of life, like going to work, mowing your lawn, saying hi to your neighbor, going to the store. God can meet you there in his providence. Do you believe that? God is sovereign. A Latin proverb says, providence 
assist not the idol. <laughs> if you're going to sit around, I'm not sure if much is going to happen to you. Would they please show up at my door with that check and the balloons and the flowers? Oh, Lord. Look, that would be cool. But it's probably not going to happen. I know. Some of us say, but it happens to some people. I know, but not you. <laughs> or maybe not me. I don't know. See, Naomi and Ruth had no idea what God was really doing. He was working on so many levels. A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. And God works, how many? All things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his what? His purpose. And his purpose is listed in the next verse. To conform you into the image of his son. So Andy, the last time we were together on Living Truth Radio, and this is Pastor Michael Lance with Andy Chapel, who's our special guest today. We're talking about Bethlehem being at the center of the story of the book of Ruth. And Bethlehem is house of bread. And there's a whole grain uh, harvest imagery that's going on here in the book of Ruth. And so now we've come to the point in the story where Ruth and Naomi basically look at each other and say, we got to do something to get some food. We're, we're widows here. We're, we don't have a lot of resources. So Ruth does take a major step of faith and she goes out to a field. She just finds a field. She doesn't know whose field it is yet. And we're watching the providential hand of God. You said something before we went on the air that I thought was important. You know, sometimes when someone's looking for answers, uh, they take a step. It could even be what they might consider a risky step of faith, like going into a church, for example, or showing up at a, you know, maybe a, a major evangelistic uh, meeting or something like that, turning on Christian radio. They don't know what they're going to find and they step out. That's what we see Ruth do. Uh, what are some of your thoughts as she goes out into that field? Well, I, I mean, I just see her take this this step of faith, and I wonder how many times, how many of, of us and how many of our listeners have been in that same place. I mean, we had the privilege of going to the Harvest Crusade and being on the follow-up team, and one of the things that really struck me is, like, how many people make a confession of faith but then never follow through with it. Imagine if Ruth, who walks into this field, you know, as provided by the law back then, the, the poor are able to go into the field, go into harvest and, and get food to provide for the family. But imagine if she walked in there and was so timid, so afraid that she turned around and left and never met Boaz. I mean, the, the story as, as we know it would have never taken place, but instead she meets this this generous man who clearly shows the same the same type of love that we see in the New Testament of Jesus dying on the cross. And Boaz is a picture of the kinsman redeemer. This story is about redemption. It's set in the harvest uh, season. And the beauty of it is that when she takes a step of faith, she encounters extraordinary kindness, I'm sure, yes. in her eyes. You know, the Bible says, when the kindness of our God, of God our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at livingtruthcorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.